I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Des Bishop podcast. Here we are in the last week of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And we have a great Australian guest coming up, Tom Ballard. Australians know him well, former Triple J radio presenter and star of various Australian television shows. Uh, but I wanted to chat to him about political correctness, uh, a major theme of his new show. Uh, we talk about language and offense and uh, very interesting chat. Super interesting guy, Tom. Incredibly intelligent. So articulate. Uh, and I think you guys are going to love it. Topics that uh, come up a lot in relation to stand-up comedy and what you can and can't say. So stay tuned for the chat, and we will talk to you afterwards. So we've started, by the way. Oh, I, right, I know you're in. still looking at your stuff. phone. No, I'm sorry. I'm turning on airplane mode, and I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm ready. To talk no, it's to fine. I was, I was sort of semi-sound-checking. You're semi-starting. Very sneaky. But did you have to do many interviews on that? Yeah, yeah, too many. Oh, really? Some would argue. Well, uh, if I had my time again on that show, yes, I would I have think I reduced. Did it. I think, I did I think it you might have come in. Was it in Sydney? You or did was good it as or something. We were based in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. I think I um, did it. Who were you with? Yeah, I was with my friend Alex Dyson. Yes. Who is not a stand-up comedian, but is a very funny man, and uh, we were doing community radio together. And then a guy from the station saw me doing stand-up, and that's sort of how we started. You didn't have a, you didn't have a woman. No woman. No, just in this. I, I don't mean that in any other way other than like all the pictures I see scattered around Australia. It's always like. Blinko, blank, the woman. Two guys and the woman. <laughs> Every time. Who's jumping to giggle, yeah. Marty, Jono, and Kate. Tim and Marty, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, you know, like so many uh, forms of the media, there's a huge gender imbalance pro- problem. Um,. We took over from a crew that involved a woman, Marie, who's like an amazing writer and very intelligent woman who is like the exact opposite of that kind of dumb, giggling stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, Triple J isn't that anyway. I get that. It isn't, no. I mean, some would argue that you know, I left and then another guy took in, Matt O'Kine came in and replaced me, and then Alex, Matt and Alex just finished, and then two more guys have come in. So they did cop a little bit of flack about that. Oh, about, yeah. Well, I mean, I, so I, wasn't, I wasn't getting into that. But I was just, I was, no, no, no. Now, what, are you, what are you fucking saying? So basically what you I'm saying is. You had Triple J, is that what you're saying? That we're I'm a sexist organization? That it just didn't you feel please. very Australian to just be two guys, you know? Two guys talking. It's just, I'm not, I'm not going to look at that poster on the bus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not going to, like, be taken in by, like, did you have your sort of, like, slightly looking away, laughing at what, uh, what he just said picture? No, we had, I mean, they actually let us be quite involved in the marketing of the show, which is probably not a great idea because we were fucking idiots and we like dumb, Too cool, dumb right? stuff. We were, no, we, we, are, we were significantly less cool than the brand of Triple J. I actually think we brought them down. Really? A like a, a dagginess was actually kind of our angle for a lot of stuff. So Dagginess. Um, now there's a term you'll have to explain to Nana. <laughs> what is, da- do you know about dags? I, you know, I, I know, I, I semi-know, I've definitely heard it before, but I need to be reminded. A dag is someone who is, it was uncool, basically, and who um, would, uh, <laughs> I don't know, tuck their t-shirt into their pants and... Oh, right, so kind of like, sort of dorky, geeky? Dork, yeah, dorky, geeky, yes, would be synonyms, oh, okay. yes. A dag is, yes, oh gosh, you're such a dag. And so Alex and I kind of lent into that and embraced the fact that we, um, we weren't particularly cool, and maybe, hopefully, in some way, that became our coolness. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I feel like I did it once in the studio, but I think I also did... The Triple J show that was on in Trades Hall, 2010, which that was your time, right? Right, that was Good As Friday, yeah, which is a big... Good As Friday, yeah. Yes, yes, that's That's right. right. I did that. You smashed it, yeah. I remember, because I remember I met a... I met a woman. Oh, hello. Not on our team, I'll tell you that much. Very attractive. (laughs) 
a little bit younger than me, very attractive lady, and I think she was taken in by the fact that she thought it was cool that I had, I was one of the good as guests. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be, good as was spelled A Z. Like that's giving you an example of how uncool we were. But fuck, those shows were so much fun. I really oh, yeah, we loved doing that. Honestly, all joking aside, I know we're sort of semi sarcastically ripping on the whole two guys and a girl Aussie radio and I know there's huge elements of cheesiness about it right. but I have to say being a guest on a lot of these Aussie radio shows from cool ones like your one to like cheesy ones that yeah. we won't name I've, I've had a higher percentage of good times on those shows than I have in other parts of the world that's interesting so all criticism aside <laughs> the atmosphere tends to be pretty good in the studio that's cool Ian Sterling the Scottish comedian was doing material about how he can't believe that comedians do breakfast radio here. And he, he was like angle on like, as if you would get up that early. Like part of the best thing of being a stand-up comedian is you don't have to get up early. But that is kind of a different thing. It feels like in the UK yes. or, or the US particularly, there are radio people and stand-ups wouldn't necessarily go Yeah, but go comics near. really do a lot of radio here. Yeah. Yeah, it is like one of the biggest gigs you can get because you, there just aren't that many TV gigs. So, But you're, you're done with that now, right? I am, yeah. I left in tw at the end of 2013. Um, but also, like, no desire to go back to it? Like, you're happy, sort of... I mean, not not really, to be... Not oh, you actually future. liked it? I, I really loved it. I left because I felt like four years was enough, and I felt like if I wanted to get better as a comedian, I needed to be able to tour, I needed to be less tired all the time, and... It was honestly just a, a process of interviewing people such as yourself or interesting creative weirdos from around the world and me being like, I'd rather be one of them than be yeah. with the guy interviewing. And I think you could, you could build that show differently to make it more about us and the kind of funny stuff we did. I think we could have had let fewer guests and focused more on the kind of... The stuff that really landed was the dumb ideas that we had and pursued and the stuff you made with the listeners, not just, you know, this guy's brought out a book, let's talk to him yeah, for half yeah, an hour, yeah. that's boring. But it takes a long time to learn that. At the start, we were just like, get famous people on the radio and talk to them. But and you're also on Triple J, which is like very music focused. So yes, So surely yes. you, you also couldn't completely become no. like a classic morning show. For sure, yes. No, huge music. Fo yes, music is priority number one. Um, but like Will Anderson was the breakfast was on the breakfast show at Triple J in the early 2000s for five years I think with a guy called Adam Spencer and that is like you know that fun that kind of became oh, that, that was, was the, the beginning model. of Will Anderson yes and that was the model for other people and that was like the beginning of Will Anderson's huge fan base and the oh, love for right, him okay. yes that led on to other TV projects and that now, kind of stuff now how did you feel after four years in terms of your uh, <laughs> what it offered you in terms of your fan base it, I mean, it certainly helped so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. certainly went, meant that you know, the number of people coming to my live shows really stepped but up. But you're no Will Anderson. That's no Will Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. <laughs> what a lovely day <laughs> to sit by the river here. and have an Irish fucker hang <laughs> shit on my face. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but no I'm joking. No, no, it's just different. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, why was it different? I guess it was... Um, People didn't know me as a comedian, I think, on air, even though I was doing stand-up the whole time. So, you know, just reminding people of that. But, like, people would come to my stand-up show after I left Triple J, and they'd be like, so what are you doing now? And I'm like, you just saw me do an hour of comedy. I'm here at this festival doing every night. Yeah, they're like, but you're a radio you guy, right? <laughs> so it's, yeah. just, it's so interesting how much the way you're framed in people's brains affect so much of your career, I know, like just we positioning. We fight that, but actually sometimes you got to accept it and mm. go, shit, I need to make sure I'm framed correctly. Totally, yeah. And this, and you know, saying yes or no to certain projects, being like, well, that doesn't make sense for how people think of me. And unless I want to seriously change the way people think about me, then I, I probably shouldn't do this. But I, but I think it definitely does because I definitely changed the way that I, I think about you in the sense of I always thought you were like, in my mind, it was like, oh, happy-go-lucky comedian does the Triple J stuff. Right. And like now, I think, wow, this guy is like, does some serious shows and right. like. I mean, I'm not saying I was right the first time, but it definitely was a perception change that I noticed myself. Oh well, yeah. Well, I hope. I mean, I hope so. I mean, that's just inevitable. Of yeah, you move away from that radio gig, and then you are just full time doing stand up all the time, and that's what you're throwing yourself into. Yeah. So I think I definitely became a better comedian. Did a lot more but shows. Do you, do you think you're more? Lib Sorry, go ahead. Or just did a lot more shows and did a lot more, had the time and energy and brain space to dedicate to projects that were 
yeah, much feel, more about you, what I was about. Do you feel when, doing doing breakfast radio and doing those fe- and doing festivals at the same time? I was just treading water and like keeping my head above and just being able to to both do stand up at night and the breakfast show in the morning. I wasn't. I wasn't revolutionising yeah, yeah, <laughs> changing yeah, any yeah, paradigms kind of, of doing the fall. A show, like anything. Pretty much, yeah. So then you, f- did you feel sort of liberated when the radio was done to say, right, I'm going to actually really... Very much so, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, yes, just the... I, I did all the other festivals in Australia, so Perth and Adelaide and Brisbane, and um, tried something different, which I probably shouldn't have, which was this weird show about the family holiday I went on as a kid. But it was, you know, it, was it was a risk. I was, yeah, I was able to take risks yeah. and try new stuff. Oh, I remember, I, I didn't see that show, but I remember there was positive talk about that show. That's nice. Wasn't there photos on that and stuff? It was like, yes, it was like slides from the actual, um, yeah, uh, from the actual family holiday. And I wouldn't be doing the show I'm doing this year about comedy about uh, refugees, which is a comedy lecture with a PowerPoint. The same, I couldn't do that if I hadn't done that other show. So yeah, it was all, it's all good. But it was, you know, <laughs> it wasn't the triumphant, um, uh, mind blowing experience well, listen, it was man, supposed to have. I been. did a throw in two, I did a show in 2012 called Des Bishop Likes to Bang about learning how to play the drums. <laughs> That's right, yes. And in my mind at the time, I thought it was going to be super cool, like musical yes. comedy, and I was yes. going to find this other thing. And like in the end, it was fine. In Melbourne, it was sh- it was rubbish because it was the first run. But the time I was in Edinburgh, it was fine. But yeah. you know, like you look back and you go, yeah, well, you know, you, you, do, yes. you, you, you do what you do, which is so important and so antithetical to the kind of showbiz mentality, which is like you know, everything's your one shot or. You know, you've yeah. got to you've got to fucking nail this, otherwise you'll be forgotten and thrown onto. But the, that is the American. The, like I feel a little bit industry-wise, that is the American thing of like you know, don't fuck this up. Whereas, yes. I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think comedy sometimes is like America and the rest of the world. Yes, and we're part of the rest of the world, even yes. though I have a New York accent. But over here, as the rest of the world, <laughs> we have a bit more freedom to be creative. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, just the festival model. You know, I mean, Americans obviously aren't turning over an hour of material every year to, to yeah, do for 22 model. nights. Yeah, I guess it's basically so, that. Yeah, and the festival model, it means that, you know, because you're in an arts festival, say in Edinburgh or at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, um, being weird and taking risks and, and making the show push things a little bit is, um, is highly encouraged. So this year's show is kind of like a lot more serious than a family holiday, yeah? <laughs> Uh, I guess so. The the stand-up show, yeah, it's called Problematic, and it's and it's. I wanted to write a show about political correctness because I just could not stop thinking about that. Yes. I, I, I originally was going to do a stand-up show this year, and then just during Edinburgh last year, I just thought, no, I absolutely think there's an hour in this. I think that'd be really interesting. I should have a crack at this, and then I eventually figured out that this TV show I did last year called First Contact fitted in perfectly with that, which was me going to remote Aboriginal communities alongside this guy, David Oldfield, who was helped set up One Nation, which is our version of UKIP or our Trump. You went with him? He, yeah, it was six of us, six white Australians going to remote Aboriginal communities in it for a TV show, and he was one of the six. And, you know, I'm the bleeding heart lefty. He's the crazy right wing. Oh. Um, we yell at each other for four weeks. <laughs> oh, I did not know that you did that. I did that show. And then I just thought that that was sort of a perfect kind of through line that would complement the show. Because he, he describes himself as Australia's last non-politically correct commentator. Yeah. And which One is, Nation. Yeah, this whole is, identity, like anti-PC. Sure, yeah. And, and, and Pauline Hanson and Trump have all campaigned against p- political correctness. And it's this huge part of the culture wars at the moment. And I just find it fascinating. And... Uh, I just thought that, you know, yes, we should all listen to each other and see where other people are coming from, but also I spent four weeks with this motherfucker and it was fucking hell. Oh, so it was negative. Okay, so I was going to say, like, yeah, you no didn't good. have that moment of like, you know, I get it. <laughs> I get it, you know, what he believes. Uh, but, you know, underneath it all, he's a nice guy. I mean, he's not evil. Um, you know, I do think that certainly on the left, we have a, a, a propensity to paint the other people as you know satan and evil and they just want to kill babies and bring misery into the world that's of course not the truth he loves his kids he loves animals he was perfectly polite every now and again but he also just thinks horrific things yeah and refuses to listen to other people's points of view and would you know literally be sitting down with an aboriginal person and telling them what racism is in australia in 2017 oh really no humility to listen to what these people of colour might actually be able to teach him about what it means to be um, black in Australia now. Um, so I do. I did. There was one turning point, which is towards the end of the show, which is him sort of giving me shit for being a bleeding heart and not actually achieving anything, and that's something that kind of what you, what, haunts me a little bit. 
So, so he said you're a bleeding heart and you, you haven't achieved anything? He's just like, you know, if all you're going to do is feel sorry for these people, you're not going to change anything. So toughen the fuck up and stop being a weepy, saddy, feeling everyone's pain kind of person and think about what is actually going to change these people's lives. Now, the context of that was him going to someone's house and lecturing them about the state of their own house. Like, why is all this rubbish here? You fucking disgust me. You've, you know, got chucked out of these people's houses. So I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. But I agree with David that, you, you know, need to take good intentions aren't solely aren't going to change anything. Yes, which, uh, which, I mean, it's a great point to be made. Mm. Not a great point to be made by that guy who, when he's talking <laughs> yes. about these people's messy house, An imperfect completely vessel. misunderstands <laughs> poverty yes. and all the factors that are working against these yes. people. But, okay, we won't get too bogged down in that because I think we're both on the same page with that. Mm. But, like, did he accept at all that there was things working against these people? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure that in the course of doing the show, he learned things, but it's just not in David Oldfield's nature to, like, I've literally never met anyone who would never, who would never say the idea like, oh, that's interesting, or oh, I didn't know that. Like, any new information that was brought to him, he would say, yeah, yeah, I know, or I would have thought that, or yeah, that's what I would have thought. Like, there's yeah. just no, he was a politician for a long time, so there's just no seceding any ground to anyone else bringing in new information. Which, which is just like Trump, really. But yeah, very like, like, yeah, just no... And politicians generally, across the political, political spectrum, there is now just this uh, tone where you can't say, that's a good idea, I appreciate what they're saying there, you know, I've learned something by t talking to people. It's all just performative nonsense. Yeah, I mean, forgive my ignorance, but I always thought One Nation's sort of big focus was immigrants. Was immigrants? Well, I mean, well, indigenous people was sort of the starting point. So, oh, is that right? So, like, you know, welfare. You know, they get all oh, this special treatment. Yes, yes, yeah. The reverse discrimination kind of bullshit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was the starting point. Then Asians in the nineties and now Muslims. But look, I mean, the other thing is that you know the PC ideas that I would hold before I went on this journey, living in in a northern Melbourne, being a Greens voting, gay bleeding heart dude about Aboriginal welfare and culture were shaken up by doing the show. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So I met a guy who'd been like speared by his own tribe when he was eight years old because he transgressed tribal law. I'm like, well, that is not a good thing. Like, I'm all for preserving Aboriginal culture, but not all of it because that, that's kind of oh, yeah. fucked up. But it's, it's absolutely fine to be critical of certain things within a community without... Turning yes. your back, but oh, but you sure. felt like you were educated about how. I'm just saying. Well, I think it's totally possible to do that. It's a nuanced thing to do, and I certainly think there are some on the left in my little bubble who would pounce on any kind of conversation like that as being white imperialist and racist. Whereas people in the communities that we met and leaders that we talked to, some would certainly say that there is some cultural problems that are holding Aboriginal people back sometimes. Yeah, which I totally understand in terms of. I did some stuff with Irish travelers. Right. Like, you, you know that, that yes, group, right? Yeah. So, like, I love them. I love their culture. I love their, 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 the character that seems to pervade their community. I've seen Snatch, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's all that. <laughs> but you can clearly see, you know, higher instances of domestic abuse, higher instances of alcoholism, although I separate that because like, a lot of marginalized groups tend to have higher instances of alcoholism. But, you know, just violence, feudal, feudal warring you know sure like so you can see that there's problems within the community but it, yeah. it still doesn't mean that you just dismiss them outright you know? totally and and it and i can totally understand why people particularly in those groups or allies of those groups are very hesitant to listen to white privileged motherfuckers like me saying stuff like that because there is a huge tradition and history of uh, people of color being marginalized and demonized and dismissed and being blamed for their own problem, but being yes. blamed for their own circumstances, as opposed to a realistic acknowledgement of what's happened in this country that has led to the disadvantage of a whole bunch of Aboriginal people. Yeah, I mean, I guess the trick to that is to really give a voice to activists within the community, from the community, yes. that are saying that, right? But then you have a diversity within the opinion. I mean, there are some really conservative Aboriginal leaders who are just like, pull your socks up and get your shit together, black people, because no one's going to do it for you. You know, yes, I know the history is awful, but that doesn't help us now. Like, literally, take care of your kids, put down the grog, sort your shit out. Like, this is Aboriginal leaders saying, yeah. you know, get off the welfare. And how do you feel about that? It's very difficult. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to... Um, consider those points of view and of course we can't just feel like maybe for some people it's a good message like you you wonder is do some people need to hear that from them sure 
I mean, well, there's a guy called Noel Pearson, right, who is very oh, yeah, conservative. I've, Maybe yeah, you've heard I've, of him. I've heard of him. I've heard of him before, yeah. So he's really into, you know, education and this thing called direct instruction, which is teaching kids sort of almost rote learning, this kind of remedial English lessons for kids in remote communities in, in northern Queensland. Um, and, you know, some people call Noel Pearson an Uncle Tom. Um, he would hate political correctness. Uh, he thinks the ABC just um, is constantly making excuses for Aboriginal people's failures. Oh, really? It's, it's like, you know, it's a fucking minefield. Oh, wow, that's and a big And somehow mind. I didn't fix it in this four weeks making this TV show. <laughs> so yeah, weird. But it's great. It was it was a great way to have an insight into that. Well, at least it was great for you. You you it was had yes. you had beliefs challenged. You <coughs> you had to take a more nuanced view of a, a totally. previously held belief. I mean, that's ideal, no? Yeah, and then you know some people in the Aboriginal community hated the show too because they thought it focused on white people too much. It was like poverty porn. It was tabloidy. You know, it was you know. I had that because I did a, this thing that I did with Travels as part of a series about yeah. stand-up comedy workshops in marginalized communities. And you do, you get that accusation. Yeah. But at the same time, you, you get accused of everything every time you do anything. Yes, yes. So <laughs> that doesn't mean it was necessary. You know, like you can never sure. gauge people's, you know, reactions to things. Sure. I mean, it was interesting because they were like, you know, this show is for white people. And the defense to that was yes. And yeah, it is for a white big, people. A big part of sorting out or trying to make this country less racist and address institutional racism is for white people to sort their shit out a bit. Um, yeah. Sorry, but I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, it, I would I would have thought that show was for white people. I'm shocked that people... Yeah. I, well, I guess for Aboriginal, for my Aboriginal activists and writers, they're like, there are enough TV shows for white people. <laughs> 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 we get most of them, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah. let's share the love around a little bit, I guess. I get, I get. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was made by Blackfella Films, which is, you know, an, an Aboriginal-led production company, and the, the consultation with the people in that show and the communities was extraordinary and so extensive. And, you know, ultimately, the Aboriginal people that we met were the heroes of the show, I think. And, you know, patiently, incredibly... Um, put up with our white privilege bullshit and, and yeah. taught us all something yeah so then the so so then into into the show mm. into what you're doing now like wh what did you take from that in terms of sort of right what am i going to tackle on stage here because you're going to again be talking to white people mm. yeah well i mean Most, mostly yeah the show sort of starts with um the bubble that we live in so, so you know post when trump won and i again this, this is indicative of my bleeding heartedness but maybe lots of people experience this it was a it was a really horrific day for me <laughs> and no one's thought about how this affected me but no I was like, <laughs> I was on the train I was going home from Melbourne to my hometown of Warrnambool to see my parents and I was just watching the updates on my phone and listening to some like um, NPR coverage of it and I just I was crying on the train I just couldn't believe that this is fucking happening and then just had a really miserable couple of days and stuff anyway because you're like a you're like a Melbourne yeah I just know. for you that's like how can this be right how can it be yeah and, and you realize after a while, well, this can be because I don't read enough media outside of my bubble and worldview. I don't hang out with people who don't who could possibly think all this stuff. Um, you know, I think everyone thinks that Fox News is ridiculous bullshit. Um, and you realize that there are plenty of people who are good-hearted and good-intentioned and aren't evil people who would have voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, I know plenty of them. Right. I mean, I was in the States during the whole lead-up to the election. In fact, yeah. I left like two days before, but, I, you know, so, I, you know, you can clearly see it. People you grew up with and all that. Yeah. And they just, they just buy right into it. But in terms of, in terms of you going, mm. oh, like, what, what, what did you think, what did you think you needed to do? Like, what, you Well, know? yeah, I mean, yeah, what I could do is it's tricky i've also been doing this podcast which is yeah interviewing sort of people on the political spectrum activists and politicians themselves and artists who do political work and stuff so that's been really interesting as i've been going through this sort of political awakening over the past couple of years getting more i guess radical and worked up about stuff yeah so that was all feeding into it um but you know political correctness was kind of this interesting part of the whole narrative where people felt like at least, according to them, PC was taking over. You can't say what you think anymore. The truth is being yes. um, subservient to uh, PC ideas. Oh, and also that there's some sort of liberal elite conspiracy yes. against <laughs> yeah. normal people. Mm. Yeah, exactly. The universities and the media um, are all in cahoots. And it's just, it's just so... 
amazing to think that right-wing people feel like they're on the ropes. I, I look at society and Western societies, I'm like, you guys are fucking winning. You guys are winning so much. There's so many lefty ideas that are just tossed onto the back burner, you know? Um, so that's interesting. And to think that political correctness is really oppressing you know, straight, white, rich men is just extraordinary to me. I know, it's extraordinary that, that, that it's been bought into so much. So much so that, I mean, the, like so many things happened with the Trump election, but one of the things I really noticed was that the vernacular, the Trump vernacular, has now become like so pervasive across mm. all debate. Mm. So all, th like so many things are dismissed really quickly by, that's just PC nonsense, oh, that's just liberal nonsense, this yep. is why... Or you get a lot of, this is why Trump won, because they're sick of people like you yes. with these, you know, elitist ideas. Like, like suddenly everyone's spouting that. Well, yeah. not everyone, but huge amounts of people are yeah. spouting that. And they've got the House and the Senate and the, and the White House. I mean, and it, and it cuts both ways, because it's like, okay, if you protest violently because someone wore a dumb costume to a Halloween party, you're insane. But if you voted for Donald Trump because people protested that, you're fucking insane. Yeah. Like, the idea that the transgender bathroom issue influences your presidential vote is extraordinary to me. And trans people need to go to the bathroom, you guys. So that they can't let that issue go. Trans people in North Carolina need to go to some kind of bathroom publicly. Yeah. They either can or they can't. So... Don't pretend like you haven't made this a big deal because the Republicans passed the legislation that banned them from doing that. Yeah. Well, that's because every fucking issue becomes a battle between winning or losing right. for your team. Yes. Which is unfortunate. Yes. Because that trans issue, like it's a big issue for trans people, but in yeah. actual fact it's a fucking tiny it's issue. It's a tiny, yes, it's right. It's fucking like one person a day using a particular public toilet. Sure. It's not a fucking thing. Yes. That was always my problem with that was this isn't a thing. <laughs> this isn't a thing. It's only a thing because you want to have a victory or you don't want to have a defeat. But then what do you say? Do you say, as, you know, liberal open-minded people, the Republican Congress passed this law stopping trans people from going to the bathroom? Do we say, well, it's not that big an issue, whatever, we'll let you have that one? Or do we say, no, this is wrong because no, it no, affects no, the no, civil rights say, no, of trans people? No, no, you say it's wrong. I, I, I wasn't, I, I was speaking on the other side of yeah. why, yeah. why they decided why you think it was worth, so? right. worth all the hassle. <laughs> it's, it's fucking nuts. I mean, the ultimate is... Megyn Kelly saying to Donald Trump, you've called women fat slags and pigs and you've denigrated them at blah, 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 blah. And he can say, this country needs to be less politically correct. A round of applause. I like, know. it's now just blatant sexism or blatant racism or yeah. blatant Islamophobia. It's like hack, it's like hack vernacular. <laughs> like, it's literally like hack vernacular. Like, like, when I first started doing comedy, it was just like, say something kind of like strongly anti-American. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 They are <laughs> stupid. Like, Come on, man. It's, yeah, yeah. So, so there has, the only thing that's pretty amazing about Trump is that he left me loving Megyn Kelly, who I used to hate. <laughs> yes. Like, well, not hate, but like, I used to think she represented, right. you know, uh, like a kind of a Fox News worldview. And sure. then when it was all said and done, I was like, holy shit, she's the only one that's taken on this guy yeah. on this network. There's been a few journalists who have, yeah, figured their shit out and emerged. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's been interesting, this sort of actual principled conservatives many of them have folded and fallen into line but there are some who are just like no no this is fucked even though we've got the house and the senate and the white house this is insane this man is unqualified and isn't good for anyone is bad news for this country so that's been good so in terms of the show because I, I i love thinking about the whole pc thing because sometimes i'm even challenged by like i'm with myself i was telling you when we met i'm with Ooh. my 16 year old cousin bella and she's very much of that generation where, like, everything is offensive. <laughs> and, like, she's always fucking picking me up on my language and shit. And yeah. I'm like, yo, Bella, you know, like, you're right sometimes, but sometimes you're just a pain in my fucking hole. <laughs> you know? Because, like, this is just, sure. like, a lot of life just keeps moving on. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, Like, I don't yeah. know how to describe it to her, but it's just, like, sure. if you pick up on every fucking bit of language I use, like, you're not going to be a super popular person. Right. So I get challenged by it, too. Mm. But in terms of the show, like, what... What's your argument? Well, I mean, and so the other angle, of course, is being a comedian. So, so many comedians uh, hate PC so much and are anti-PC warriors. Everyone from, like, Joe Rogan to Jim Norton, um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock have all come out. Barry Humphreys here in Australia. Yes. You, you have so many comedians talking about PC because chances are they've been pulled up for some of their material yes. or they consider their job to say fucked up stuff and people say that's not cool, that's not PC. So I hear that sometimes. I understand that there is, it is very tedious to hear humorless um, 
uh, lefty social justice warriors, so to speak, um, you know, uh, not being able to recognize context and humor. But I also recognize that I don't know everything. And sometimes when I say some fucked up stuff in the effort of a joke, someone in my audience might let me know that that's not great. And learning from that and changing as a result of that, which is stuff that like Patton Oswald and Sarah Silverman have talked about, is a worthwhile thing. I think if you just think I'm done as a human and there's no, no more information yeah, yeah, there for yeah, me to keep yeah. updating the software, you're a psychopath. That's insane. Yeah, and but so, I, yeah. yeah. I, I, sorry, keep going. But, but, and so I just actually found it kind of, it's almost edgy now as a comedian to defend political correctness in some way um, as opposed to being on the, um, you know, harden up snowflakes train. Oh, yeah, well, I can't stand the hard enough snowflakes train. <laughs> right, yes. No, 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 I can't stand that. No, I just I just find it weird sometimes when it becomes kind of like part of your identity to be somebody who picks up on... Because... Sure. Uh, a, a lot of the... I don't like the term snowflake, actually. Yeah. But... Um, but I guess, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of privileged people picking it up on behalf of other people. Sure. And it's sort of like... So you kind of go like... I think it's important that you care, but I also think you have to mind yourself because mm. you might just be. And look at the totality. So, like you, you for example, you're 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 on the, you're a good guy. You're on the right team, and you might not get every word right, but that doesn't make you an evil piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so you know, someone who says tranny but supports transgender rights is, by and large, a good person that yeah, can well, be I would part of the whole. Most people don't know that tranny is an unacceptable thing to sure, say. Sure, absolutely. I mean, and this and, is the other thing is that it's happened like, so quickly. You go to like, like I remember once I was in Tower Records in Dublin, and Vida, this great like uh, uh, transvestite performer, mm. uh, saw me and was like, "Oh, Des Bishop here, he's such a tranny chaser." <laughs> right. So, so how am I supposed to know that then tranny is a negative word? Like you. you it's not even like... Was she a drag queen? Drag you think? queen. A sorry, drag yeah. queen? Right, okay, yeah. So some drag queens have copped crap from the transgender community. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a whole... Yeah, you don't yeah. want to go there, It's mate. a whole minefield, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got TERFs, you got trans, exclusively radical feminists who don't like trans... I mean, just fucking nightmare. Well, um, actually, yeah, funnily enough, I encountered... <laughs> Look at this whispering. I, I've, enc- <laughs> <laughs> I've encountered radical feminists that don't, like, support trans like, issues. Yes, that's a TERF right there. I love it, man. It's I love the fucking... See, people think it's all like PC and anti-PC, but you want to get into the inside the PC world and Intersub- see the, yes. the battles. Oh, man. Right, it's and no, and intersectionality. And yeah, look, it's it's tricky because it's like these these things are things. Intersectionality is a thing. If you're a queer person of color, you're facing more bullshit than a white person who's queer. Yeah. So, you know, it's not all gender. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The theory confined completely to the corridors of universities and the liberal elite in the Ivy Towers. It's like it's a real tangible thing. Um, But I admit that, yes, the pace of change is so quick and some people's patience for other people to get involved and get on board and update their own lingo um, is extremely short. And some would argue that it's often self-serving and this idea of virtue signaling you know i'm 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 pulling you down to show how virtuous i am yeah like i can't believe and do you, you talk don't about that, that in the show i talk about a little bit i say you know not every joke can be pc all the time you know why did the chicken cross the road stop policing women's actions hashtag rape culture or like knock knock um some people don't even have doors um <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke well, in your that's joke. a joke yeah that's, that is good like man. you know we will if if you pursue pc to its absolute extreme conclusion you cannot you literally cannot joke about anything can't say anything you can't yeah. say anything so I, I don't agree with that but 
I mean, the whole show is just caveats. It's like me saying, I think this, but then also this. And it's like me finishing on basically, I don't know what the fuck I think about any of this. It's all gray area. Yeah. It's endlessly complicated. But just because it is complicated doesn't mean that you throw it out and be like, there's nothing of value here. I think that you lose a whole lot that way. No, but I just it's great to have the full discussion. Because yeah. the problem is that some people go, oh, it's all PC bullshit. And then other people go, you know, oh, you know, the other side. Whereas, like, there's just so much to explore in everybody's take on it totally yeah which is great because you challenge everybody yeah it's like the virtue signaling like i've never heard that term right but that's a great thing because i always want to articulate that to people it's like actually most of the stuff you talk about i agree with but my problem is y- the way you're coming off about it yeah. is off-putting well and uh, another sort of starting point is like what do people actually mean when they mean political correctness because i've asked people what do you think about pc and they think oh man it's gone nuts like you know just all the you know, occupational health and safety you need to do and like <laughs> checking iTunes. <laughs> like my auntie literally thought like all the stuff she had to get through to set up an iTunes account was political correctness. <laughs> <laughs> and Stuart, I mean, Stuart, I mean, I do all this. Stuart Lee's done this all better than I can ever do before talking about talking to his nan and he's like, oh, you can't have a cup of tea at the hairdressers anymore because a Muslim might <laughs> hate it. <laughs> he's like, okay, you're confusing OH&S legislation there, nan. Um, <laughs> But it's like, yeah, there's the cra- there is the um, um, extreme, I would say, version of PC, which is like acknowledging country at all times and, uh, and um, you know... Um, when you not, say not acknowledging country, you mean like the welcome uh, to country yeah, stuff? Uh, like, you know, every event you would ever do, ever, you would acknowledge the country of the traditional owners of the yes. country, you know, like being really um, passionate and, and vehement about that. There is, you know... Um, not uh, you know cultural appropriation this idea of not dressing up for say a hollywood bollywood party or whatever there's this kind of like more fringy stuff but then there's also just like not doing blackface you know like some yeah. people say B- pc is bullshit i'm dressing up as blackface at this costume party and you kind of go that's that's not yeah. that's not good we've moved past that haven't we yeah. Not in Australia, but generally, it's like putting blackface on your paint on your face as a white person is an extremely privileged douchey thing to do, and I don't think it's the end of the world if you have to give that up for the sake of yeah. Well, I mean, other I guess I, surely some of it is just down to the fact that like, are you trying to hurt people? Are right. you trying to offend people? Yeah, intention is big. Yeah, but it's also then about how it's received. I mean, so intention with blackface. You know, Seal was a judge on The Voice here, and there's a big controversy because people dressed up as Seal for a costume party. Um, like you know, putting black on their face, and the defense is, I like Seal. You see what I mean? So it's yeah. like I love. He's great. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but that's not necessarily how other black people receive that message. Yeah, and then how did how did people take uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder that time? Uh, Tropic Thunder. Well, see, this is interesting because a good friend of mine, who is a, I would argue radical politically active guy who's like called out people on twitter regularly for blackface all the time it's like fuck this is fucking bullshit never acceptable i had a chat to him about it he's like oh robert downey jr that was funny because it was ridiculing the idea of blackface and that's context right that's context context and intention so so yes and then so then then the seal thing is the context too right it's yes 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 interesting it's fucking so interesting i can see why you did a show about it's just and then for me i'm like i'm a pc person but i did the comedy roast battle in montreal a couple of years ago and I fucking loved it. And the roast is like the least PC thing you can possibly do. Yes. But a roast is also a safe space, so to speak, where everyone gives permission... To use the term. To, use, to say whatever the fuck you want. And I get a right of reply, and there's an equal power balance. So there's a big difference between saying horrific, racist, ableist stuff in a roast battle than there is if you were just to stand up on stage, I think. Yeah, and I guess part of the argument that like Chris Rock is trying to make or Seinfeld's trying to make in terms of these college gigs that mm. they're complaining about tends to be college gigs or like being filmed at comedy clubs is things do get taken out of context. Yes, yes. And you do, yes, you... But there's more context at a roast battle than there would be at a comedy club where nobody has asked to come in and hear misogyny. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's just so clearly in a roast battle, you don't mean anything that you're saying at all whatsoever. Yes. Whereas in a stand-up club, it's like the, excuse, the idea that everything is a joke and nothing means anything in stand-up comedy just doesn't wash with me. Because I, at least in my comedy, I say stuff that I really believe all the time in my stand-up. And I think that might be earnest, might, might be needy, whatever, but that's what I think. So I don't really want to say something that people will think that I mean if I don't kind of mean it. So did you read So You've Been Publicly Shamed, John yes. Ronson book? Yes. Yeah, so how do you feel about sort of the flip side of all this, which is the, an <laughs> almost like 
it's not a vindictiveness, but just the way it all gets out of control online. Insane. Like, and this is the tipping point now where, where people think that the outrage has gone so far that we can't figure out what is actually outrageous anymore. Mm. And so every little transgression is the greatest crime of all time. And therefore, when real racists come along, i.e. <laughs> Trump administration, um, we've they lost the power. They can hide behind this cloak. Yeah, of, of just, well, everything's, everything's racist apparently now. So even these racist policies that we're implementing aren't really racist. Yeah, and um, also they have this PC thing to just throw around. Totally. I mean, there is a real yee-haw thing with the PC. I mean, it's literally like like Ted Cruz was the same like with the PC thing. Yeah. They dismiss everything as PC. Ted Cruz dismissed the military providing gluten-free meals as political correctness gone mad. So he would rather <laughs> soldiers out there shit their pants <laughs> in a PC-free world. Like, that's just... Like, that is where it's descended to, where people think just allowing for dietary needs is now political correctness gone yeah. mad. Well, that's because they just think that people are making up their gluten intolerance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think some of them are, but that's, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other series, yeah, yeah for sure. Are you, I, 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 yeah, just, are, you, are you trendy gluten-free? Are you, you need yeah, to be gluten Yeah, sure, I'm sure it happens, but I also don't think that soldiers out in the desert are making that. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, there's got to be some people who can't deal with gluten. Yeah, yeah nor does it matter, because it's easy to just have gluten-free yeah. meals. But, I mean, the thing in the Ronson book is so amazing, where it's like these so-called higher moral ground social justice folks are saying horrific stuff in the serving of another cause so you know what's a face makes ooh, that's good yeah that's a loud one you you were <laughs> professionally well noticed <coughs> professionally um, well noticed that that one probably that's a good technique is not to be talked over unless discussing the noise yes um but now it's fine thanks Justine Sacco, you know, makes the joke on the plane about um, not getting AIDS in Africa. Oh, right, yeah. And that is decried as racist and awful. And in the course of them tearing her down, people literally tweeting stuff like, I hope this bitch gets raped and killed. Yeah. And you're like, well, hang on. <laughs> what are the values that we're fighting for here? Because it seems to be just, fuck Justine Sacco. Yeah, but that, I also think that's just this sort of sick entertainment vernacular that exists online mm. which is people just find all that entertaining whatever side they're on this weird way that people behave online totally which just gets wrapped up into everything we've been talking about which is pick your side and then use it to be yeah. horrible yeah which is unfortunate i don't know why well i guess we shouldn't be surprised that humans are horrible but we're just <laughs> finding a new way i mean i'd rather find out about a bunch of trolls online than fucking people you know like the horrible things that we've done in humanity yeah but at the same time it's 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 showing up bad online at the moment, I think. But it's I mean, and the point of John's book is that it's you know where the where the mob now, where the evil ones, where the persecutors, where you know we decent good people who initially used Twitter as some kind of social justice platform have now become these people who love um, putting public figures in the square and throwing know, yeah. fruit at them, you know. Yes. And it's one thing for the alt right. It's one thing for neo Nazis online to be out of their mind. It's another thing for people who largely agree with you on most issues then turning against themselves in a holier-than-thou context. Yes. That fun? And I guess, I guess for everybody, including us, in, in whatever way it shows up, there's something reassuring about being, about being part of the mob. Yeah, totally. At least I'm not that guy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which is, yeah, I mean, that, I, I did find that book very interesting. It's inspiring. a great read. It's really interesting, yeah. Good read. Yeah. So, um, with the show, like... Like, are you finding, like, it's it's satisfying? Or do you find it's just a bunch of people that are actually in your bubble <laughs> just agreeing with you? Well, that is a big part of the show, too, is it is a... And I'm, I'm proud of that, of that kind of acknowledgement at the top, being like, hey, guys, I know we're all are in the bubble Are you doing the right whole now. show in a bubble? In a bubble? Yeah. No, like, <laughs> just when I was reading the review, I was like, is he actually, like, in a bubble? <laughs> no. It's I not just quite thought that they, literal. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, like... I, I just was wonder like just the way it was written I couldn't tell if there was like, like right, a I'm part inside. of the performance was actually like, like the flaming lips like a set yeah it'd be like, cool no yeah. <laughs> no no set no I um no I mean it's a comedy festival it's my audience um I ask I ask are there any right wing people in tonight and there's no response every night and it is a big laugh I say no because this show is happening inside the bubble right oh okay I got so you. it's so everyone knows but then there are bits in the show that I think are. You were challenging the bubble, sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, stuff, you know, I mentioned a bunch of examples like 
There was a council in Tunbridge Wells that banned its employees from using the term brainstorming because it might have fed people with epilepsy. And so they, really? so they don't say brainstorming now. Now they say mind shower. Like, just nuts. Um, but I have a fetish for showers. So it triggers me. It's actually pretty offensive to me, yeah. <laughs> it triggers me yeah. to think about my mind in a shower. <laughs> and I hope, yeah, I hope this show sort of fits that note of like, no, I don't want to mock the idea of people being triggered by anything ever. But I also think that, you know, some online warriors could do with a little bit of ribbing about okay, their, so let me how ask seriously you this they take themselves. This always bugs me. We've never been... Like, why does there have to just be this binary thing of left or right? Right. Which seems to be more pronounced now than ever. Yep. It used to be much more like economics, you know, but now it just seems to be like all aspects of our identity. Well, this is the idea, right? So they, the, the argument is that identity politics overtook the economic, more material difference um, that politics should be about. And that you can have all the identity politics you want, but they don't mean shit if people can't put food on the table and they can't actually live a life of meaning. And so this is why Bernie, Bernie Sanders was sort of held up as a guy who, get, who cared about the economy first and foremost and, you know, income inequality, these kind of tangible money, material-based issues as opposed to bathrooms. Yeah. Um, I'm still not sure about all that stuff. I still think that identity politics happens because well, people's identities are politicised. Um, but I, I guess it's all about emphasis and what, what do you put at the front, your top list of priorities. And it's what funny because they used it against Bernie Sanders in a way where right. they basically said, you don't really care about black people. Black people, yeah. Whereas, you know, if you made college tuition free for everyone, including black people, you would fundamentally change America. Yeah. Oh for the better, I think. Yeah, I know. It's funny, but and I get they, it lowered the, they lowered, the, they, they made free education in Ireland. And it didn't really change oh, really? the socioeconomic status of the people that were going to college. Right, okay. So some people argued, and I, I, I'm not s- taking a position, mm. but some people argued that essentially this was just welfare for middle class people because it was just middle class people who would have been paying for it now are not paying for it. Right. Gosh. And it, it didn't increase access. But I, but I, 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 I don't have the numbers to back it up. I did Recently I did a TV show and I had to look that up. We didn't end up not doing a piece about education, but I had to look it up and it was... I, f- I found the stuff to support it. I don't have it in my brain now. Mm. But I'm not saying that that's an international... Yeah, okay. Uh, an I guess you'd also phenomenon. have to change the attitude towards higher education as well. I mean, if kids aren't... F- if lower socioeconomic kids aren't finishing high school either, they're not going to university either, so... Yeah, well, because the, the, the thing that always bothers me is that people always go, it's about poverty, it's not about race. And it's like, yeah, well, one, obviously, you know, I'm not telling... Race affects yes. how poor you are. Yes. But secondly, uh, you know... It, 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 it affects like your desire to be educated and all these things mm. well before like y- y- you're past having a chance mm. by the time that free education will actually matter to you yeah you know so I, I think people kind of get confused in fact a lot of the Bernie people which is why I understood why some people thought he doesn't care about black people enough is a lot of the Bernie people sort of I think misunderstood that a little bit mm. in, in, in my opinion but it's, it's I mean it, it's about um how explicit you make the call. And I can totally understand why, you know, minorities like people of colour are so used to not seeing themselves being included in things that you need to make an explicit call to them. This is why I think the huge criticism of Hillary Clinton, you know, having all these different language campaigns and stuff as opposed to a unifying narrative for everybody. I'm like, well, you know, Latinos need to be told, I think, that you are welcome in this thing because in so many parts of American society, they are not welcome yeah. or everything is set up for white people. So being explicitly welcoming and making a, you know, a, an olive branch offering to people based on their racial identity, I don't know. I mean, it didn't work for Hillary Clinton, but to me, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like a horrible idea. And don't, and don't uh, think that well, Trump didn't they play it. Identi- they want to paint her as this dishonest. Sure. Like that just fits right into that narrative. That whole narrative, that yeah. That she's dishonest. Yeah. And, you know, but also identity politics works both ways. Trump played identity politics by playing to white working class people. Mm. And, you know, make America great again, make America white again, yeah, I mean, that's get America I back thought. to a part where, a place where the, all these uppity minorities didn't have all these pesky rights and weren't the president of the United States. And then, because yeah, the two, the, 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 you talk about white privilege, right? Which is a major trigger for people online. Yep. And then the other thing I've noticed is a major trigger for people online is, you know, 
think we're women talking about equality mm. and then you know there's a certain type of man that goes that goes crazy so in terms of white privilege in your show and also in your own opinion like how do you best how do you try to articulate that <laughs> to people that are getting triggered by you talking about it <laughs> well i mean yeah the, the you know white privilege is doing that tv show first contact was an exercise and having a white privilege thrown back at you just you know, people living in poverty conditions in my country. I mean, we went, to, we went to a house, a council house that was overcrowded, a lot of overcrowded housing in Aboriginal communities, like 13 people living in the one house, lots of kids from different families and different sort of relative and family structures are there. And I'd never, I've never really come up that close and personal to any form of poverty. So, you know, seeing it, and then with the added level of race, that was very confronting. There's a moment where I was walking down the street in Darwin and there were some Aboriginal people on the street asking for money and I couldn't give them money because I'd just been to the ATM and all I had was $50 notes. So, so my excuse is, I've got too much. I've got too much. That's the joke. And everyone in, the, in my whitey, whitey audience goes, fuck, yes, I can relate to that. That's, that's one of my favourite parts of the show. So have you got change? It's like, no, I got no money. I got, yeah, <laughs> I got no change money. for that one. Fuck. <laughs> so... Have you got you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's not going to work out well. Yeah. Do you take up? But, um, I mean, I've done it before. Last year I had a bit about white people and... Um, oh, there's this big thing about this poll last year that said 46% of Australians believe racial equality has gone too far. I mean, that is... First of all, it doesn't make sense. How could equality go sense. too far? But also, again, it's this real perception of a lot of people of a certain age group, I think, I think of a sort of baby boomer generation, that they're under attack and that they're losing their country, that there is some fixed idea of, say, Australia, and that it's going away because it's diversifying and people of yes, color, no, uh, no, and they want to have more. That is a just, fear that exists. And, I, and I, it's sometimes you just kind of go, you've got to wait for people to die, um, because I would hope at least that my generation is not going to be tied to such a rigid, white, straight... Um, a, a, a concept of, of what Australia is and how it works, you know? Yeah, I mean, we've we, we've tended to evolve for the better. Yeah. Give or take a couple of bad periods <laughs> which we may be entering into. We'll be in right now, yeah. But just, like, in the, in the bigger picture, like, historically. Yeah. You know, society has gotten fairer, mm. right, you know, I think, over time. So, I don't know what people are afraid of. I mean... I also think, you know, even the left and, like, the, the right on, like, we do need to ask ourselves, what are we actually giving up? What are you actually, what are you actually prepared to sacrifice for the sake of other people? Because that's actually change, and that's actually activism. Yeah, um, not and, just, and tax. Not know, just thinking, yes, right. Not <laughs> just thinking the right things and thinking, yeah, I'm up for everyone being equal. It's like, what, does it actually mean you stepping back a bit? You giving more space to other people? You saying no to gigs because... You've got enough. You, uh, you, you're not viewing yourself as some kind of white savior who fixes things, but actually putting the people in the affected groups in the spotlight to talk about How do you about feel about experience. gentrification then in that context? That's that's big. I get. Well, we still don't quite have had that conversation in Australia as much as it is happening in the UK and the US. I think for sure, it's just not a term that comes up. Yeah, because I'm uncomfortable with it. Even though, like, I remember driving around Bed Stuy ten years ago, thinking about buying a brownstone, and yeah. But but I look at what's happened in Brooklyn and I, I am uncomfortable with it. But at the same time, I'd still prefer to go to the the cafe. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, this, you know, Fitzroy here in Melbourne. Yeah, that's was, bigger than. Well, I mean, it's extremely expensive now. Housing affordability is a terrible issue. But like my understanding of it is that Fitzroy used to be the fucking pits yeah. and like a dangerous place to be. So that changing is good. But the price of that, of course, is yes. Uh, people people got of pushed color out. Get pushed out. Yes, and that is. Awful. Yeah, yeah, that, that I, I always find gentrification to be that tough one to figure out. Just because oh, the only reason I thought about it is because you talk about giving people space. I know you weren't speaking about like that physical, physical space, space. Yeah, right. But it is that thing where like urban blight in the 70s and 80s in the United States was this thing of like the cities have been taken over. But yeah. I mean, basically, it was just like <laughs> yeah. poor people who tended to be right. black and Hispanic. Right. And then in the 90s, people start moving back to the city center, and then it's like, oh, New York is safe again. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's no fucking black people in the city center anymore. white <laughs> people. You, 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 you know, so everyone just got pushed out. And then, you know, 
it, it is white privilege, but it's very hard to say it to people because they're just like, shut the fuck up. It's mm. white privilege. Mm. It's just these people have made the place better. But, I mean, so, and the response about any politics is class, right? Coming back to class. And so I, I understand why there's memes of like, you know, a white guy sit in a car- in a caravan or a trailer or whatever with barely any teeth in a, like a coal mining town being like, ooh, check out this guy's white privilege. So the response there is, you know, yes, he's white, but he's still been fucked over by neoliberalism and capitalism and is still at the bottom of the fucking barrel of society. So go talk to him about racism, which I understand. But also the response is, well, if that guy was black, his life would be... You know, that one step well, worse. Well, he wouldn't just be poor. People would be calling him names. <laughs> exactly. You know? I and mean, even, I know, I get it. You call him yeah. a redneck or whatever. Right. But, it, you know... It, and back in the day, you know, the people in power, the rich people, used to turn the white working class guys against the black people, being like, hey, you're poor, but at least you're not an N-word. At least you're not one of those guys. You know yeah. what I mean? So, race is often used to further class oppression as well. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. No, no, no. Listen, man, I love chats about class, dude. I love (laughs) chats about class, you know? And I I like the fact that people represent their class now in totally different ways, more than just money, you know? It's like taste and what you're into, where you live, style, you know, like all that stuff has to do with class nowadays, too. And I do think that class conversation used to happen a lot more than it does nowadays because there's this sort of like illusion of. Like the class isn't as relevant, yeah. but it's more relevant than ever now. Ever, I, well, it's I, just more complex. I, I, if that's an outcome of the Trump Brexit Hanson vibe, then then that's good because I think I am convinced now of this kind of. I mean, I haven't read Marx or anything, but I have friends who are Marxists who talk a lot about this stuff. The idea that ultimately, yeah, you can have all the sweet identity politics you like, but if if the capital is still being used to oppress people, and if you don't have money, you're not shit then you've still got a problem. Because yeah. the truth is now, I mean, you can be a, a black person and be a fucking multimillionaire and in capitalism you'll succeed and everyone will love you and it'll all be fine. You can be Beyonce, okay? Yeah. Some very rare few people can be Beyonce. Um, but if she didn't have money or, you know, something that could be sold and marketed and commercialised, then she's worthless in the yeah. idea of the capitalist society. Yeah, I mean, listen, I believe in capitalism, but my, my, my biggest problem is why I liked Bernie Sanders' message mm. is that, and why I think it's a joke that people went for Trump to think he was going to reverse this. Oh, man. Was that too much money is allowed to just stay up high. Totally. You know? And, like, it's real simple. It's not that radical. It's like, I don't want to fuck with anybody's shit, but I'm just <laughs> saying just take some of that stuff yeah. out of the fact that it's just sitting there yeah. and put it back into circulation. They'll still be able to afford yachts. and I'm just talking about the shit that's just sitting there. I think this will be... I think my next show is going to be called something like Enough, just about the idea of we don't talk about when enough is enough. <laughs> like Just literally like how much do you need to be a happy person today? Because in, in capitalism, that is just not a workable notion. You are always expected and, and encouraged to go for more, 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 more. But, of course, being saying that you have enough is quite a good thing, I think. All right, so the final thing I'll talk to you about, because I'm drilling you here. Uh, this distrust of government, you know, this, this, this sort of distrust of authority. Mm. Uh, even the fact that Trump is not in government 100 days yet, and people are turned on him already, because <laughs> now he's the man. You know, <laughs> like, uh, like, don't you think that's kind of part of the problem in the sense that, uh, don't get me wrong, I know governments fuck up all the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, people are all typical government, typical politician. But at the same time, like the function is to look after all the shit that we can't look after ourselves. In other words, like all this we're sitting in fucking shared space right now. Like there's just tons of shared space, yes. you yes. know. So somebody's gotta admin that. Yes. Whether they do a good job or a bad job, yes. it has to happen. The fact that people don't trust nor want to support that concept. Don't you think that's part of the problem? Sure. I mean, I am. I am a collectivist. And and the you know free marketeer individualist idea of everything is very scary to me. The idea that we have very few obligations to each other, other than you know don't kill each other. Yes. <laughs> and pay a, and pay each other when we trade goods and services. Yes. I mean that to me is just a harrowing, grim view of human beings and society. I I do believe in society. I believe that well-off people like me should try and help those who aren't as fortunate. Absolutely. I think yeah. we have an obligation to do that. So I think that I think that people often use the shittiness of government as an excuse to justify their own lack of civic participation. Yes, civic participation. I think which that's is something no you hear idea. nothing about. 
But then also I was talking to someone recently for my podcast and he was talking about the difference between disengaged and disenfranchised. So the idea that if you on, if people honestly feel like it doesn't actually matter where the fuck their vote goes and it doesn't matter what most people want, look at Australia, marriage equality is popular, euthanasia is popular, um, we want to save the Great Barrier Reef, we don't want a fucking coal mine. You know, you list all these progressive causes the majority of people are on board with that our politicians don't serve because of their commercial interests and because it's not politically possible in their view and because certain companies donate to their political parties. I mean, I, I get why people go, fuck it all. Nothing, nothing I do is going to change. Yes. So screw it. So the argument goes that if you actually make the vote count more and you actually make it more accountable to the people, then people do genuinely care and, and will pay more attention um, because they think you know, their vote actually has an influence in politics. Yeah. But just in terms of people's resistance to tax nowadays, like I get it, people want to pay less tax and I get how they also might feel hard done by mm. because it seems that the people that make the most money pay the, le- the least tax. Mm. But there's also seems to be, to me, a disconnection between when somebody gets on the tram... <laughs> Oh man! Uh, that they don't understand that like all this infrastructure has to be built has and to be paid built. for, or businesses being like we employ people and we've we've we worked our way up from the bush. I'm like, really? Because do you employ people who are educated in the public education system? Oh, yeah. Do you I, use I love the internet? It. Like yeah. it's like yeah. there is do so you much. Workers take the train to work. Of course, yeah. Um, are you subsidized by government in many cases? Like yeah, yeah. Do you get a lower lower corporate tax rate? Like all these things. Yeah. Oh, I love the fact that employing people seems to be like the get-out-of-jail-free card for all civic responsibility. Well, literally, like, Google's like, we don't pay, we're not going to pay tax in your country because you should be thanking us because we're employing people. Like, yeah, those employees do work for you. They help your business run, motherfuckers. It's not like you're you're giving them, like, just money to hang out and not do anything. plus they make incredible profit that they don't put back into society. That's my problem. It's like, okay, you don't want to pay tax? I think you're a dick. Yeah. You know? But then put it back into society. Like, I don't buy into this, uh, you know, this whole, like... uh, philanthropy culture where it's like well I give it back in my way it's like yeah but I mean I, I, I did a joke about this on a show but it was mm. basically like listen man like I want a picture next to the fucking pothole that my tax <laughs> fixes yes. but I don't deserve it like I'm just yes. paying my tax whereas like you can go and say I'm saving the world with my money right. so that's you're getting something back out of that I know I, I'm increasingly more suspicious of any corporate social responsibility like any kind of corporate charity stuff I know it does good and I'm sure, you know, corporations are made up of human beings who do want to, you know, make the world better and stuff. But I just, I just am so cynical at all of it. I'm just thinking, this is good for business. You're, you're giving money to this charity or this cause because it's good. For, if it was yeah, bad for business. it's still PR. It, totally. It's, it, you know, it's like it's, these corporations coming out for marriage equality. It's like, well, if that was bad for your bottom line, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, because tax is selfless. I mean, tax is money back into society that right. you sort of get to use, but not everyone uses it in the same way. Like, yeah. like I pay fucking tax and my kids aren't in school, but at the same time, like, you got to do your bit. Yeah. You know, but uh, so and it's just it's one of my little bugbears. Well, it's like the health I insurance. I want to pay higher taxes, but. No, sure. In the health insurance debate, people are like, oh, all these healthy people subsidizing sick people. Like, yep, that's how it works, guys. Yeah. And, that's until actually the, the system. Until the day that you're using it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, until you're one of those sick people. Ah, anyway, it's Tom, listen, ah, it's great. I've been dying to have a conversation <laughs> like this on my podcast for ages, but nobody, you know, nobody wants to have it. Oh, Nobody's well. as arrogant about what they know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's Finally, two white guys hanging out <laughs> by the river, sorting shit out, anybody? Sitting in Melbourne on the Yarra. Any questions? Didn't think so. What have you been doing all day? Well, nothing. I work for an hour. I, I talked. <laughs> we sorted out a lot I, of issues. I though. work for an hour a night. I mean, I really understand the plight <laughs> of the disenfranchised. Normal, of the normals. You know, I'm swimming in the sea today. The proletariat. You know? But, hey, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Des. Is there, you know, it, mostly Irish listeners, I have to say. Oh, but okay. is there anything... Well, first of all, you're going to Edinburgh. I will be in Edinburgh in August, yeah. With the, so, with the you know, if anyone's going to Edinburgh, check out Tom's show. What's your show going to do? It's called Problematic, yeah. It's the same one, and that'll be the Pleasant's Courtyard. Real good Edinburgh show. Thanks, man. Loads of educated, middle-class white people <laughs> will <laughs> love feel guilty to go and see right that privilege. show. Come on down. And uh, oh, what's your podcast? Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Like I'm a, explain it to me. Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Oh, so it's it is an explainy thing. Terrible title. Well, that's that's the quote from Denzel Washington from Philadelphia. And so the idea was that, you know, talking about complicated stuff, smart people will explain it to me and I'll try and get my head around it. Yeah. yeah. I have to urinate. <laughs> go for it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Des. Cheers, man. That's how all my podcasts end. I have to go for a piss. <laughs> so thanks to Tom uh, for 
so much of his time and for being so willing to chat in great detail about, uh, I think, some subject matter that people care deeply about. I'm sure not everybody agrees uh, with Tom, uh, but I hope that uh, I hope that you enjoyed the chat. Uh, we will be back uh, in a couple of days with uh, a chat with Carl Chandler, who runs tons of gigs here in Melbourne. I wanted to talk to him about the stress of running gigs. I mean, next the next podcast is very much a a, com- a comedy podcast, like the industry and all that stuff. It's uh, you know, if if you're not into like stand up comedy as a business, the next one's probably not going to be your your bag. But I enjoyed it. Plus, I had a car, so we drove around. Uh, anyway, uh, what else can I say? Listen, if you're listening to this and you're in Sydney and Perth, I'm in Sydney next week and Perth the week after, and then uh, back to the West. Back gigging in Ireland in June, by the way, doing some extra dates of One Day You'll Understand. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm very distracted today, so I'm just going to sign off. I had two bowls of Cocoa Pops, and it's just, I'm, I'm speaking through loads of regret and guilt, remorse. So hit me up on Snapchat, DesBuffer. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those are Des Bishop. They're easy to find. Give us a like. Uh, you know, give us all five stars on uh, iTunes and spread the word about the podcast, guys, now that it's back up regular. We'll chat to you soon. Peace. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.